the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. In Romans 13, 8 and 10, these words. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Part of worship, part of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, as an ongoing sacrifice, is doing what God asks us to do. Worship is conforming our will to His will. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry. Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his study through the Book of Romans with a series of messages he's entitled, Changed Relationships with God. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 13. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a chance to look into your word and to be changed by it from the inside out. Your spirit working within us to apply the word, to help us to understand it, to internalize it, and to do it as we present our bodies as living sacrifices, conformed not to this world, Father, but transformed by the renewing of our mind through the preaching, the teaching, and the doing of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today we're in Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, how to love your neighbor intentionally. Uh, Salvation, as we've been talking about, changes everything. It changes all of our relationships. This is an interesting passage Because what it does is it turns a corner in Paul's discourse. And what's going to happen now is this is really the setup or the transition passage from 13 to 14 and even halfway into 15. And it it opens with a a command to owe nothing to anyone but to love one another. The owe ties into the previous verse about owing taxes to whom taxes are due, honor to who honor is due, things like that. And the apostle is going to shift our mind away from the relationships that we have, how we use our spiritual gifts within the church, how we relate to one another, how we relate to our enemies, how we relate to the government, to the doing of these things. 
And so 14 is usually thought of as all about the weaker brother, and it is. And the first part of 15 about how the stronger, the more mature is to conduct themselves, and it is. But it is an application of of these last few verses to owe nothing to anyone but to love one another. And that's a hard thing to do because a lot of times we don't even know what love is. We have all these conceptions in our culture that really don't line up with the Bible. But if I had to give you a very simple definition of the word love from the Bible, it would be this. Love is benefiting someone else, other people, through righteous words, actions, and deeds with no thought of what you're going to get in return. It is a give to give, not a give to get. Love is benefiting one another through righteous words, actions, and deeds with no thought of what you're going to get in return. Where do I get that definition from? We'll get there one day, 1 Corinthians 13. But here's the problem. We are a busy people, and there's almost no room for other people in our lives because our culture has us going in nine directions at once. It's hard to love our neighbor with any intentionality when we are so distracted and so Uh, diverted in our efforts that we, we can't really think about much other than our own survival these days. We are overtaxed, overworked, over indebted, debt ridden, and we want things. We live in a kind of a candy store kind of world where we're living in the most prosperous time in history. I was reading these statistics. Did you know that worldwide poverty is decreased by like 20%? I didn't even know that. They measure that. That's good. But here's the thing, we have more time, more money, and we spread it so thinly, and we're like kids in a candy store, and we want this and we want that, and what happens is we take our eyes off of the prize. We, we forget our purpose, that we are servants of Jesus Christ, that Christianity is not a spectator sport, it's a team sport, and we are all on the field of endeavor, all on the field of labor. And so... What I want to talk about today is making room for love so that you can love people with intentionality so that you can fulfill your purpose. And no, it's not wrong to desire good things. It's not wrong to want things for your family or things for you so that as long as that does not obscure God from your vision, your ministry from your field of vision, from your thinking. You know, Christianity is a thinking, rational religion, and we do well to think through our lives and our purposes before we obligate ourselves to too many things and in too many ways. And let me give you an example. Lucy, not her real name, so if there's a visitor today named Lucy, this isn't for you, right? Lucy cannot find time to minister in her local church. Why? Because she's encumbered by debt. She has credit card debt. She has car loans, student loans, and her undergraduate degree in art history and intersectionality is not applicable enough to get her a good job in the area where she can pay her bills. And so she's under a weight of debt and she's just going in every direction all at once. She drives for Uber. She works as a barista. She works in her day job. She's doing all these things. And at the end of the day, with all of her obligations, with all of the weight of the world pressing down upon her, she doesn't have the energy on Sunday morning. And she can barely drag herself into church, let alone serve. And sometimes she's just so world-weary that she misses the visitor who comes in. She misses opportunities to ministry because she has obligated herself in so many different directions. She has spread herself so thin like butter over dry toast that she just doesn't have the time to think about those kinds of things. Then there's Bill. 
Bill and Sherry. They wanted a nice home. And so they looked around and they bought a fixer-upper. They borrowed 125% of its value so that they could buy the house and then put a lot of money into it. They got a deal on some unconventional financing. They did a little creative financing. And then what happened? Bill's contract job as a programmer, the contract came to an end. And they could no longer afford the payment. And to complicate matters, they had used that extra 25% not to invest in the home, not to redo their kitchen or their bathroom, but they had done it to consolidate credit card debt, which quickly began to reaccumulate after the paycheck went away. And now the mortgage payoff is more than the house is worth. They are underwater, and now they're working all kinds of corners and odd jobs, and everything's just to make ends meet. They're unable to serve in their church. They don't have time for church stuff. They are too busy. They are too busy just struggling to keep their heads above water. Then there's Ronaldo, self-employed, an entrepreneur. He has employees, over a hundred. And he puts in about 90 to 120 hours a week to keep his business going. And he's just stretched so thin. He's too tired to serve. He's spread too thin to invite anyone to church. He passes people that he knows on, on, on the street in the workplace, but his mind is somewhere else. How did things get this way? How did things get this way for us? How do we become so distracted? How do we become so indebted, so encumbered, so obligated to so many things and so many people that we lose sight of the gospel, that we lose sight of the reason that we exist as Christians? And I guess in a word, that would be priority or a loss of focus. We lose sight of the fact that we are here as ambassadors for Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. And as Christians, we often become distracted by the world around us. And we say, well, right now is not a good time. Maybe someday I'll have time for the ministry. Maybe someday I'll be able to give to support the ministry of the church. Maybe someday I can invite someone to church. Maybe someday I can serve where I'm needed. The problem is, if you look closely at your tablets or your iPhones or your paper calendars, there's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but there is no someday on that calendar. And that's what happens. It's like, we'll get to it one day. And when we say that, we say that about our children, we say that about all kinds of things, and our children grow up, you blink your eye and they go from a little bitty thing to a big old thing like that. Which brings us to our passage in Romans 13, 8 through 14, because this passage really speaks to making room in your heart to love your neighbor, to be useful to God, to be ready, willing, and able to serve him as you should. So let's look at it together. Romans chapter 13, 8 through 14. For the context, in verse 7, it says, pay all to what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And we owe God, right? We owe God. We owe God our salvation. It's not that we loved him, it's that he first loved us. And if we love him in return, we'll do what he asks us to do. And what does he ask us to do as born-again Christians, as those who follow Jesus Christ? Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. So he's talking about everything contained in the pages of Scripture, not just the Ten Commandments. For the commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. 
Therefore, love is the fulfillment, is the fulfilling of the law. Besides, this you know, this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation, the consummation of our salvation, is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I'm not involved in orgies or things like that. No, but sometimes you get involved in other things other than the mission to which you are called and you take your eyes off God and we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here is a call to action. It's a call to pay the one debt we really owe. And it's a call really not to be overly encumbered, not to be buried under a mountain of debt because the debt that you owe, the important debt, is the debt that you owe to God, to love one another. The early church father Origen, despite his many flaws and errors, said this, the debt of love remains with us permanently and never leaves us. This is a debt we pay every day and forever owe because God has done for us what we could not do for him and we cannot pay off that debt but our worship is a response to the love that he showed us in Christ Jesus. To this end, John MacArthur writes, and by our Lord's gracious provision, it is, love is a debt we will always have the resources to pay in which the more we pay toward it, the more willing and joyous the payment will be. Serving others is like acquiring a taste. And once you acquire that taste, you only want more. My mother used to tell me, eat your greens, you know. And the more I ate my greens, and particularly collard greens, the more I liked them. And this is what's going on here. We have to free ourselves from everything that does not enable us to serve God, everything that stands in the way. If we want to be indebted, let's be indebted to him. If you want to pay off a debt, pay your debt to God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What we're going to find here is a setup, is the preparation for love, for making room in your heart for someone else by eliminating all the stuff that keeps you from loving and serving God and your neighbor. And what we're going to find here really are three keys, three keys to loving your neighbor, three keys to meeting the one obligation that is eternal, that you really have. The, the response to the love of God through our salvation, this doesn't save us, but it enables us to live saved. Does that make sense? You don't earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to lose it. Therefore, keeping it isn't the issue here, but presenting your bodies, as it says in Romans 12, 1 to 2, is living sacrifices, loving God back by loving others, as he's called us to do. There, we're going to talk about today three keys to doing that, to, to embracing that call that is on all of us. And the first key to loving your neighbor is this, key number one, keep your purpose in sight. Remember why you're here. Remember why God saved you. It wasn't because you were cute. It wasn't because you were special. It was because he first loved you and he has a purpose for your life. And that purpose isn't keeping up with the Joneses. That purpose isn't having all kinds of toys or going all kinds of places. That purpose is serving him. And so we see in Romans 13, 8 and 10, these words. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Part of worship, part of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, as an ongoing sacrifice, is doing what God asks us to do. Worship is conforming our will to his will, our life to his commandments. And that's why, that's why we serve God. We were created to serve God. That's our purpose. That's our reason for being, conforming our will to his, to live as he calls us to live, to do what he calls us to do. Well, you remember when we did our series on the Ten Commandments, we called it Ten Rules for Life. We explored the meaning and the, and the application of the Ten Commandments. We looked at their organization. The first four were all about our, how we relate to God, and the last six were all about how we relate to our fellow men and women. And Commandments 1 and 10... You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not covet, dealt with our mindset that God would be enough and we would be satisfied with what he gave us and therefore we could love him and we could love our neighbor. Serving and loving God involves loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. The one leads to the other. That's why if you're right with God, you'll be right with your neighbor because you've made the priorities the right things. You've made the main thing the main thing. Jesus taught that the two great commandments upon which the law and the prophets stand are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The first leads to the second. Loving our neighbor is a love born out of a loyal love for God. Devotion to God is the fulfillment of the law of God, the completion of it. And as such, it must be a priority for us. It must be something that we do not lose sight of. When you look at this first, when you're reading Romans 12, 8 through, 13, or 8 through 14, you're like, well, how does, how does loving our neighbor fulfill the law? You get a hint of it in verses 8 and 10, but if we look at verse 9, there's an explanation. God typically, in God's word, in the Bible, when he gives us a command, he gives us an explanation. And you see it here, for, because, verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as God commands, then you will not commit adultery, you will not steal, you will not murder, you will not envy people, you will not cheat people, you will not do harm to a neighbor. If you look at it, if you look at a, an abbreviated version of uh, Romans 12, uh, 13, 9, and you take out the Ten Commandments that are quoted, it says this, for the commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these days, we're all into self-care and self-love and self-esteem and all that sort of thing. There's not two commands here. Well, you know, you can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself. Most people naturally love themselves. That's why they sin. No one lacks in self-esteem. You could not sin against God. You could not elevate yourself to Godhood and commit sin unless you really esteemed yourself unless you really love yourself. So the command here isn't to first love yourself. I know that we're in Northern California. It's to treat others the way you want to be treated, to love your neighbor the way you would want him to love you. There's just one command here. And you say, well, who is my neighbor? Well, that should sound very, very similar, should be familiar. Because in the parable of the Good Samaritan, that question is asked in the setup. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, asking what the two great commandments are. And he gives it to them. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody says, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story. He, gives the, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a parable for our time. 
Because Samaritan and Jews didn't like each other. And everybody's so busy, the Levitical priest walks by, the Jewish guy laying on the side of the road. All these people walk by because they're busy going places. And then a Samaritan who should hate him because of their racial differences, because of their religious differences, because Samaritans had a pretty peculiar vision of God, stops and helps him. And Jesus said to the guy, so, so who proved to be his neighbor? He said, the one that helped him, the one that cared about him. We're to be the neighbor. We're to be the one who loves our neighbor. We're to be the one who reaches out to those who don't reach out to us. If we love God, then we will love our neighbor. You cannot miss this. And that's why this is kind of a linchpin passage because when you start out in Romans 12 with uh, the spiritual gifts and how we deploy them within the church and how we relate to one another and even how we relate to our enemies and how we relate to the government, this is all a buildup to choosing to benefit other people through righteous words, actions, and deeds with no thought of what we're going to get in return. And that's why this passage is so critical as we turn towards Romans 14 and the discussion of the weaker brother. Because there are people that seem purpose-built to drive us crazy. And then there are people where we're like, you know, we just don't have time for you. Well, you know, you make time. And so we have these two verses here in Romans 13, 8, and 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is what God, among other things, has called us to do. If we love him, if we know him, we will not lose sight of this. And nothing will distract us from fulfilling our purpose. And when you think about it, when you take time to live out your faith in front of people, when you take time to, as God did for you, to love the unlovable, to respond and not to react to what they do, to think before you give some knee-jerk reaction to some insult. When you explain your faith to somebody, that is the ultimate act of love for them because in so doing, you point them towards an eternity with Jesus Christ in a way, eternity outside the grace of God and the fires of hell. And so you have to keep your purpose in sight, in view. You have been raised up, how many times have you heard me say this, for such a time as this. God has placed you in this church, in this building, in this community for such a time as this, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christ followers and born-again Christians. So the first key to loving your neighbor to owing nothing, to being encumbered and pressed down and occupied by nothing is to keep your purpose in sight. Key number two, key number two is this. Cultivate and maintain a sense of urgency. Cultivate and maintain a sense of urgency. A lot of times when we read passages in the Bible, we kind of camp on the ones that really touch our hearts and then we gloss over something else. But when you read this passage, it's, it's a string of thought. It's a discourse on love and how to love and what to do and what not to do. And we see this here in verses 11 and 12. Cultivate and maintain a sense of urgency. Listen to the language here. Look at it in your Bibles or up on the screen. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You know, as Christians, we were saved, we are saved We're being saved and we will be saved. Does that mean you're working out your salvation? No, it means you're living it out. And the ultimate consummation of your salvation is when Christ takes us home, either through death or through his return. And he's saying to them, you know the time. 
Each day is one day closer to your death or to the Lord's return. For the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For, the sal- for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And then look at verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Our need for urgency is found within verses 11 and 12. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.